So good to be here with you today. You know, rainy day here in the South Bay. We didn't expect it, and so I'm so glad for those of you who are joining us online right now also. Please turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6. The Old Testament book of Exodus, second book in, in chapter 6. We have sermon notes that you'll want to also pull up at novachurch.org or on the Nova Community Church app. You know, if the people of Nova Community Church are going to be a living representation of Jesus Christ in a community of faith that God has called us to, that's the salt and light in our world, we know that the primary focus is that you're growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is that you're gaining a greater understanding of who he is, but it also means that we have to learn that not only has God called us to himself, but he's called us to one another, too. We want you to fully embrace the church, that church is not just this hour and 15 minutes uh, gathering on a Sunday morning, and that the life-transforming power of God in your life changes the rest of your life and the rest of your week. It not only changes who you are, but it changes what you do, and it changes all of your connections with people throughout the week. And it's all marked by your understanding of who Jesus is. Two years ago, at the Leadership Collective, that's a gathering that we have about three or four times a year with the Nova Community Church servant leaders. We talked about this. And, and we talked about what is the South Bay, our region, where we live here, what is, how do they view God? What do they think about Jesus Christ? Is there any spiritual thing going on here? Or what are the things that are opposing? And we have current demographic studies. I mean, we have the best ones. And those are really helpful, but there's nothing like asking people who actually live in a region, in a place, in a neighborhood, what's your neighborhood like? What's your community like around you and so we gathered this information a couple of years ago and we asked questions like what are the unique needs of the South Bay what are the burning issues what is what is it in the South Bay that God wants to redeem and restore to look like his future kingdom but now how would you describe the atmosphere of lostness in the South Bay. And so we got big pieces of paper and we wrote all over them and we just brainstormed these things. And I, and I put them together, I looked at them this week again, and I put them together in four different categories. They're in your notes here, I'll, I'll talk about them right now. The, the first thing that as I think about it is there is a great deal of narcissism and individualism in the South Bay. Would you agree with me? Yeah, you see it? It's a self-focused autonomy. 
And, and when you live this way, everyone else exists to make you happy. South Bay people are busy and they're overworked, overcommitted, but it all seems to be focused on self. And when you're self-absorbed and you're seeking autonomous individualism, you tend to use people all around you. And the eventual outcome of this self-focused autonomy is a great deal of loneliness and a great deal of... of um, a sense of depression and feeling all alone. So the first thing that I think we can kind of wrap our arms around is there's a great deal of individualism here in the South Bay. The second is there's a great deal of disappointment and brokenness. Do you see that? When we finally get to the place in our lives and admit that life is not always on this upward trajectory, right? We're always trying to achieve more. We're always trying to get more. We're always trying to make more. We're always trying to get better. When we finally get to a place in our lives that that up, upward trajectory in our life really is just this grabbing after something that we really can't actually get, there is a great deal of disappointment. And I don't know where we get this idea of wanting more and gaining more and being better all the time. I think the self-esteem movement has done its damage. I think the, you know, the everybody gets a trophy thing, right? The participation trophy thing, maybe, maybe that too. I don't want to blame Little League or anything like that with, with it all, but... When disappointments come, and I think we see this, when disappointments come, we're not equipped to deal with them. And so there's a mental health and wellness movement that I, I know that we're seeing that's coming into play more. In our current health crisis, after one has ended, our current health crisis is depression and anxiety and loneliness and isolation. But there is this encouragement, I think, move your body more, get outside, right? All those things, take a look at beauty, slow yourself down. And we're not just these robots that just do and gotta get the paycheck, gotta clean the house, gotta do the, you know, it's, we're not just robots doing this thing. And so with our open campaign, you know, we want to preserve the open space in a very impacted and crowded community to, to have the light and the air sort of open in our open space that God has blessed us with and playground where people can move, kids can move and people can connect in a prayer garden where you can just walk and reflect. So we're working on those things as we see them. The third is human stinginess and i and it's it's different than financial generosity it's it's human stinginess it's it's a lack of kindness and compassion that we see in our in our world today um, a quickness to think poorly of someone a quick to judge a quick to blame a quick to anger and lashing out in a Guarantee that if you don't do what we want you to do, we're just going to separate you from our lives. We're just going to cancel you from our life. And so there's this 
There's no human generosity in that way, it seems. There's a human stinginess. And it also leads to not trusting in the one who created you and the one that sustains you. It creates divisions and disconnectedness amongst one another. And it can lead to generational divisions, racism. I think it can lead to gender divisions even. And it dispels any desire for cultural understanding of someone. And we become suspicious rather than compassionate and welcoming. And over time, we become slow to offer grace, quick to judge, quick to putting people in a box that they can never make their way out of. And so we have all sorts of abilities to be not stingy, to be kind and welcoming. We have a benevolence fund, which is, means a, a kind gesture, or benevolence means kind gesture, a kind act, and, 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 and we've written checks of encouragement to people within the church and even outside the church or on the fringes of Nova, Nova Community Church, of a family just recently who moved into the area after some financial hardship, and they've attended here a few times, and we said, we just want to encourage you and be kind to you in this way. So maybe you're listening to all this, and we just went through a lot, and I know it's kind of, kind of a burden as we talk about these things, but I think it's important. And so you look at number one, individualism, and you go, no, I, I can't relate. Number two, what's that? Lonely, what's that? Isolation, disappointment, and brokenness. And you go, no. Number three, human stinginess. No, nah, that's not me. Then maybe you can relate to this one. Number four self-righteousness. Here's why self-righteousness is so insidious and heartbreaking. Self-righteousness has its roots at some really good things and some things that are Bible-based and some things that are correct. It's perhaps the misapplication and the lack of grace for others that we become self-righteous. We begin to look down on people because they have not applied the scriptures to their lives like we have righteously applied them to our lives. And we begin to believe that our application is the right way. And I'm not being a relativist here. Let me just give you some simple examples. I mean, some really quick, simple examples of this. How about your choice in schooling? Public school, private school, homeschool. And everyone feels like they're right, or, or maybe some people don't feel like they're right, and this is their only option. That's all that they could do. How about health care? People get real self-righteous about health care. And you're thinking, what are you talking about? When you think health care, some of you immediately thought doctors and medication and, and those things. And some of you thought holistically, right? A whole different way. And then there's political views, and I think we see that a lot today. Two-party system, more than two-party system, sort of a, a blending or hybrid of, you know, I'll just pick and choose who a candidate that I like or the belief that I like and that sort of a thing. Or some of you are just like, you've given up. It's like politics, no, no, not at all. Never vote, don't care, not registered. It's rooted in some good things, this self-righteousness can be. 
But that's what makes self-righteousness so insidious. And it's why self-righteous people think that they're truth-tellers. They don't think that they're self-righteous. They just think that they're right. And they might be right. But the harsh judgment of others is never right. Remember, Jesus saved some of his choicest words for the self-righteous. Now, these are the areas that Nova servant leaders kind of brainstormed and, and put together, and then I've categorized them in these four, and we can probably make more of these. But we've identified these as burning issues in the South Bay. So what does our text in Exodus chapter 6, verse 13, have to do with any of this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's, let's read it. Or how about I'll read it. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. These were the heads of their families. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn son of Israel, were Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These were the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These were the clans of Simeon. These were the names of the sons of Levi according to their records, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Levi lived 137 years. The sons of Gershon by clans were Libni and Shimei. The sons of Kohath were Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. Kohath lived 133 years. The sons of Merari were Malai and Mushai. These were the clans of Levi according to their records. Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed, who bore him Aaron and Moses. Amram lived 137 years. The sons of Izhar were Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. The sons of Uziel were Mishael, Elziphan, and Sithri. Aaron married Elishabah, daughter of Aminadab, and sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. The sons of Korath were Asir, Elkanah, Abiasaph, and these were the Korite clans. Eleazar, son of Aaron, married one of the daughters of Putiel and bore him Phinehas. These were the heads of the Levite families, clan by clan. It was this Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. This same Moses and Aaron. Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, Since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? This is God's word for us today. 
Now, what are we going to do with this, right? When it comes to genealogies, if we're really honest, we just kind of skip over them, right? Yeah, you're in your Bible reading plan, and you get to this long list of names that are hard to pronounce, and you don't even know who these people are, and you just kind of, and you just kind of go on, right? And if you've done that 23andMe DNA thing, you know, you spit in that test tube, and you stick in an envelope, and you mail it off to the company, and they, and you're trying to find out more about your family, you know, where you've come from. You're trying to put together a story of your family. In the genealogies of the Bible, what is God communicating to us? Because he certainly is doing something here. And so we kind of feel bad when we kind of skip over this long list of names. So what is he doing here? It's a good question. What we see here in this genealogy is that almost everyone named here is in the Levitical line. Okay, So it's in the family of Levi. And if you know anything about that, it's a family of priests, the spiritual workers and, and, and leaders. And what we see here in this genealogy is that Aaron and Moses, they come from a really broken family. Almost everyone listed here in this genealogy is either never heard of again or what we know about them isn't pretty. Let me just point out a couple things. I don't know if you were paying attention when we were reading through the genealogy in verse 20 that Moses' dad married his relative, right? And so don't you think those would be pretty awkward Thanksgiving family (laughs) gatherings, right? You got the cousins and you're hanging out with them and, and you got other grandma and grandpa and you got uncles and then you have your mom who's also your aunt, And then Korah, who is on this list, he ends up being swallowed up by the ground because he tried to lead a revolt against Moses. And then Aaron's own sons, Nadab and Abihu, die from offering strange fire to the Lord, an offering that was not right. But here's this kind of family that we're talking about in this genealogy. We have all sorts of inappropriate relationships and all sorts of broken lives that we read about here. And even when we read about Aaron and Moses, they do some of the strangest, weirdest things. What we tend to overlook, I think, in humans, is that they're, that's all of us humans, right? We tend to deny how our past affects our future. There's this denial of that, I think, that's just built in. And if we pull back into the story in Exodus, where we're at here in the story of Moses, yet again, Moses is arguing with God. God's telling him something, and he's pushing back against God. What he will do, what he will not do. And what we see from the story is that This genealogy dropped in here in in chapter 6 is almost like a commercial break from the story, right? If you remember last week, you have Moses really arguing with the Lord. I'm not going to do it. No one's going to listen to me, Lord. I'm telling you, I'm not going to do it. And it just keeps going on and on. 
And Moses already botched it up earlier when the Lord told him to say this, and then he didn't really say it. If we go back and take a look at Moses through the lenses of this genealogy, it starts to make a little bit more sense. Because what does Moses do when he's 40, right? You remember that? He tries to lead this revolt, and it's the right thing, but at the wrong time. We learned about that a few weeks ago. He wants to play the hero. He struggles with anger. We know Moses struggles with anger and struggles with passivity, both. And we, we remember that time that he killed the Egyptian with his bare hands, tried to cover it all up. He's an angry guy. But the fact is we know that he'll grow in that a little bit. But ultimately, it's his anger that prevents him from entering the promised land. Moses has a very difficult time, not just with his anger and his passivity, but he has a very difficult time trusting in the Lord. And this will be one of the last times that we read at the end of our text today that he has this pushing back against God. He struggles to trust the Lord almost all the days of his life. This is what we're learning here about Moses. And what this genealogy and the present struggles of Moses give to us is this laying out the truth that we don't really talk a lot about when we talk about the Exodus story and about Moses. And I, I think about us, me, I'll just say me, and I'll, I'll include you too. That's where a lot of us are. We have all these quirks, all these hang-ups, all this brokenness, all, this, all these experiences that we have that are behind us or that we're currently in right now. And what I see in this text, in, that, in this narrative, this, this is urging us. This is urging us to be kind to one another. This is urging us to be gracious to one another. It's, 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 and I don't mean give a free pass to people who, to behave however they want. I'm not saying that. We're simply saying that although there are biblical standards of behavior that we live out as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be gracious and we need to be kind. It's his kindness and his grace that leads the hurting to see their own wrongdoing. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Wendy Mass says this, and you've probably seen this on a, um, social media or something like that, but it's so good. It's, she just says, be kind. Be kind. For everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Truth? Yeah. And what we see in this text is really the thrust of the genealogy in, in verses 26 and, and 27. And I, and I think you'll see in these verses a little bit, you'll see in these verses a little bit now, different now that we've looked at that genealogy. So verse 26 and 27 in Exodus 6 says this. It's fascinating. It says, It was this Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions and 
They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. And then it, you, I can almost say, they, the, the writer says, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's this same Moses and Aaron. After the whole horrid genealogy there. It, it's like the Bible is saying, these guys? You're kidding me. Yeah, this was the Moses. It's like there was an understanding in these ancient Near Eastern people would be reading this and saying, well, I, re I do know a Moses, but it can't be the same Moses here. I know an Aaron. Yeah, that, that dude, he wasn't a good dad. Yeah, we, we don't want to be around him anymore because of the way he parents his sons. These are the men. These are the guys right here. This is the point of the genealogy, that in, in, in spite of our past failures and present struggles, the work of God and the plan of God, they move forward through broken people. Uh, let me say that again. In spite of our past failures and our present struggles, the work of God and the plan of God move forward through broken people just like me and like you. And that's what we see in this genealogy. It's, it's, this is what we're being taught here by this long list of names of broken, depressed, anxious, sinful people. Broken past and messy presence do not cut us out of God's purpose in our lives. In fact, it qualifies us. Because that's all God has to work with is us here. There is no one righteous except one, God's Son, our Lord and Savior, who is uniquely qualified to be our Redeemer. And this kind of leads us back to these four broad categories that we talked about, the burning issues in the South Bay, the the, the problem of people in our region, individualism, disappointments and brokenness, human stinginess and self-righteousness. Truth be told, let's get real with ourselves. Real talk here. Every one of us struggles with one or more or all of those issues. What the Bible does to kind of wake us up out of the struggles of, in the Old Testament, prophets and David, they, they, they write things like, like, lift up your heads, you sinners. Look up. We, we, we sang some of that today. Like, like look up. And the, the, the New Testament writers would say things like, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Quit looking at yourself Quit taking selfies of yourself. Quit doing that. Look up. Don't look at yourself. It's about how and what we see. And it's, it's loving people like Jesus loved us. And, and to break that down just more specifically is we need to serve people. That's our call. We, we serve people. Get your eyes off of yourself and Look around. Philippians chapter 2 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, 
Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. There maybe has not ever been a more countercultural sentence in all of history than this right here. Get your heads up. Look at Jesus. Serve others. It's not all about you. Stop staring at yourself. Quit always being worried about your marriage and your kids and your house and your stuff. Look around. Be generous and be kind. And the second way we can love Jesus, love others like Jesus loved us, is not just serve people, but commit to a people for the long haul. Commit to a people for a long haul. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. These words from the Apostle Paul to a church, it speaks on the reality of relationships, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If you don't have that in a relationship, your relationship, it probably stinks you're probably having problems. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know, transformation of a life, it happens life on life. It happens, when we think about spiritual transformation, life change, it happens life on life. Transformation doesn't happen with sermon on ears. It happens life on life. And life transformation happens when we serve one another for the long haul. Now my hope for us as a church family is that we would be marked by victory over the narcissistic spirit of our age in the stronghold that has gripped many lives in the South Bay and beyond. But if the people of Nova Community Church, if our church family are gonna be a living representation in a community of faith that God, God has called us to be, that salt and light in our world, we know the primary focus is that you are in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is a greater understanding of who God is. But it also means that we have to know that God has not only called us to himself, but he has called us to one another. And may we see, may we clearly see the beauty of Jesus Christ 
being more fully formed, that we might be more fully formed in the image of God by the Spirit of Christ. But the only way that happens is that if we open our eyes and live out our lives serving others for the long haul. Amen.